I haven't been this excited about a new Dolphins head coach in maybe forever. Stone Labanowitz hit the open. On your mark. Get set. Go! You are listening to Ken LaVica Live. Presented by FAU MBA and Sport Management Programs. Turn it up! Turn it up! From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, it's Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 106.3. The Miami Dolphins have a new head coach, and he looks more suited to be a Dungeons and Dragons master than he does leading an NFL team. And me, personally, as a nerdy-looking person, I love it. I adore it. And we're going to talk about it. Ken LaVica live Monday here on ESPN 106.3. Free ESPN app and on your smart speaker. And a John Levine accident attorney studios downtown West Palm Beach. Phillips Point Towers right off of the typical Florida winter intracoastal. Friday night light. Stone Labanowitz fresh off of a weekend of Olympic women's hockey is running things until 2 o'clock. Before we talk Dolphins, before we talk Mike McDaniel, Stone I did it. I ran the damn Miami Marathon in under four hours yesterday. You did it. What is up? I did it. It was brutal. Uh, The final six miles, I'm glad there was nobody there to document me and what I was doing physically because it was ugly, but I found a way to grind through. Three hours, 58 minutes, 22 seconds. Stone, that's a damn win. Hell yeah, it is. I've been meaning to ask, at what point did you realize, wow, I'm going to cut it close? Um, All right. So my body started to – all right. I'm trying to decide if this was more a physical problem or more a mental problem because I physically felt great up until like mile 19, okay? Like I felt fine. Like tired, but I was pushing. Everything's good. I was making it a point of every time I saw spectators who were cheering people on, acknowledging them, smiling. There was a photographer, like, <laughs> posing. Because I want to keep my spirits up, you know? For sure. And that worked through mile 20. And then uh, there was a long run from Brickle to Coconut Grove. That's probably four and a half, five miles. And that was going to be the main portion of the last, uh, the last half of the marathon. And so... As we're running to Coconut Grove, I'm like, when does this turn? When do we turn? When do we turn? And it, I could not see it. Just kept running, kept running, kept running. No turn. Still going south when the finish line is very much north. And that's when I started to get messed up. And that's when I started to feel really tired and really worn down. Because it was not only we're still running south a ton. Yeah. And the finish line's up north. It's we still have to turn around to do this entire stretch again. And that's when I really started to fight it. And so right around mile 22, I'm like, man, if I have to slow down my pace significantly to keep moving, I, I, I'm a little nervous because my pace was good up until like, I need to kind of scale it down a lot. Right. And do I, have I built up enough equity in the first 19 miles to not completely lose this entire thing? So then I got to mile 23, then I got to mile 24, and I'm like, all right, I'm still okay, but man, I had to slow it down big time at mile 24, and I thought about, all right, I'll run half mile of this, and then I'll really gear it down again so I can push at mile 25, but you know what? At mile like 24 and a half, I'm like, one, I'm a little nervous 
about my time and two, my family. If they see me really <laughs> struggling here the last mile and a half, I'm going to be embarrassed. So I pushed it. And I, I was it. fighting nausea. My body was shaking. There was a, a big elevated bridge that you had to go over right before you headed to the final stretch because the course was evil. But I found a way to do it. And I got through and everything worked out. I got my under four. I feel great about it. I'm 37. And to be able to do something like that when I took up running two years ago. No doubt. I'll take it. It's a life accomplishment. I'll take it. It is. It is. And I, I, I did not run in high school. I did not run in college. I didn't do any of that stuff. I took this up because I lost a bunch of weight and I wanted to keep it off two years ago. And now I've run a sub four major North American marathon. You know and what you it know, is? I feel good about it. You know what it is? It's badass. Yeah. It's I appreciate that. No doubt about it. And I want to make sure that we're abundantly clear about something. Uh, Christina Costanza called on Friday in our Cullapalooza here on Ken Levick Alive talking right. marathon. Christina Costanza said, even though I have an abject hatred of Crocs, she said, oh, if you get under four hours and 30 minutes, we knew that was going to happen um, unless my, my Achilles blew up. I'm going to get you Crocs, blue Crocs. Tina, Croc me, damn it. <laughs> Where are those Crocs? She did ask you your favorite color. It, it took you like 10 seconds and you sadly said You know, you, you know what? Because here's the thing now. I hate Crocs, but you know what? Now it's going to be a symbol of my achievement. Hell yes. I may not wear them and I'm certainly not going to four-wheel drive them, you dorks. But I'm going to hoist them up as an achievement. You can put them on a necklace or something <laughs> to wear them in. It's going to be a heavy-ass necklace because they're big and rubber and impossible to, uh, to wear as any sort of fashion statement. All right. Let's talk Dolphins. Let's talk coaches. The Dolphins have their man. You heard Evan Cohen talking about it at 11.55. He thought Stephen Ross, the allegations Brian Flores made about him, $100,000 per loss 2019, was going to make this a very difficult, very impossible coaching search. A couple of days ago, Evan speculated that maybe just maybe the Dolphins should go get someone who's very invested in the franchise, very invested in the success of the team, and someone that... Uh, can look past the transgressions alleged of the owner because he has so much passion for the brand and for the logo and for the franchise, just to right the ship, just to be a placeholder, and he suggested Jason Taylor. And you know what? It was silly, kind of funny. I actually didn't hate it. <laughs> I, I, I did not hate Evan's suggestion, but it turns out none of that came to fruition. None of the distancing themselves from the Dolphins. None of the... the um, Oh, I don't know. This might be too toxic type of conversations. And Pat Lawler told us on Friday, our sports agent and sports law insider Stone, he said, hey, if I'm a candidate, whether it's Mike McDaniel, whether it's Kellen Moore, I'm not asking questions about the owner. I'm not asking questions about the work environment. You handle it like a job interview, like you normally would for a head coach and all the other stuff. You worry about that later. But you worry about what you're inheriting. You worry about doing your job and getting that job and then doing that job once you get the head coaching position. And then last night, we finally hear Marcel-Louis Jacques, our friend from ESPN, Dolphins reporter, he joined SportsCenter with this breaking news. After nearly a month-long coaching search, the Dolphins have their guy. It's former 49ers offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel. I'm told that he was so impressive during his first interview with the team, a 50-minute Zoom call earlier this offseason, that they were willing to wait on their final decision until they were able to bring him in the building. In the time after that interview, I'm told Dolphins owner Stephen Ross had conversations with Rams coach Sean McVay and Packers coach Matt LaFleur, who both praised their former co-worker. 
Remember, they were all on that same Washington staff during the early 2010s. Then this Friday, McDaniel sealed the deal with an extraordinary interview that spanned most of the day. Miami did interview Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore on Saturday, but opted for the NFL experience and the innovation that McDaniel brings to the table. The Dolphins don't do many things right. We know that. It has been a really bad last week for the Dolphins. It's been a really bad last, for the most part, 20 years for the Dolphins. I said several weeks ago I wanted the Dolphins to go get someone who had head coaching experience. Would I have preferred a Doug Peterson? Yeah, and I'm wondering why there weren't extensive conversations. He's in Jacksonville now. Would I have preferred Brian Dable, who had previously worked with Tua? Yeah, probably. But I have to say, maybe it's because he doesn't look the part or sound the part. He is quote-unquote nerdy. He looks unconventional. You can't picture him stalking a sideline. But the way football is going, and it's proved by Kyle Shanahan, and it's proved by Sean McVay, who is five days away from coaching in his second Super Bowl, okay? And it's proven by Matt LaFleur, who's a back-to-back NFC uh, championship game head coach. It doesn't matter how you look. What matters is how you game plan. What matters is how you keep a defense off its heels. What matters is your dedication to detail. And to me, the name out there that was remaining for the Dolphins, the guy who has shown he pays attention to detail more than anybody who is still available, the one that is best suited to create matchup problems, to put a deficiency-laden offense and quarterback in the best position to succeed, not having to rely solely on talent, it's Mike McDaniel. No doubt about it. The Dolphins won. The Dolphins found the right guy to be their head coach. Mike McDaniel, I love it. And I understand that he looks weird. He looks unlike any other NFL head coach we have ever seen. In fact, listen to some of these press conference moments that Mike McDaniel had in San Francisco as the offensive coordinator when he met weekly with local media. Listen to how awkward this guy is. Excited to be here. Uh, equally excited for you guys to truly take in how physically imposing I am. So whenever you guys are ready to start, let's do it. Guys again? What, what do we got? You guys got anything going on? Just hanging out in an auditorium? <laughs> all right. Just going to drag it out of me, huh? God. Make you do all the work. What do you guys got for me? I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> all right. See you guys. So how are we doing? <laughs> what do we got? What is he doing? That's a cool question because that's... Um, that's kind of how pass, your pass game you want it to be. There's a rhythm and timing to everything. They have a history of smaller offensive linemen, um, but that's uh, really we haven't invested second-round draft picks into offensive linemen. We'd prefer everyone to be 400 pounds and 6'10", if, if, you, could, if you could engineer that. Hey guys. That's all? That was fun. See you guys. <laughs> like... He, he, he is so awkward. I mean, Stone, he is so awkward. In a, in a football world 
where especially in the offensive side of the ball, you think like you're cool. You're the cool guy. You know, the offensive mind, the hot shot offensive mind. And look at it in the NFL, Cliff Kingsbury. It's a hot dude. Sean McVay, hot dude. Matt LaFleur, hot dude. Mike <laughs> McDaniel, he'll fix your computer. No doubt. I think like a coach, a coaching candidate's like strongest thing as far as in an interview or getting a job is like your offensive portfolio at this point. Like mm-hmm. it is what's hot. That's why guys like Kellen Moore under the age of 30 are like getting these interviews. Mike Daniel, as nerdy as he is and as weird as he is, that playbook that he brings into that interview, if it wows you, and I'm sure it does because he's got it going on and the coaching tree he comes from is straight offense and that's what the Dolphins need. It was a no-brainer. You mentioned it. A no-brainer. I think under the circumstances, they executed this to perfection. Mike McDaniel, I love it. I I do too. love it because it's outside the box because it is a risk. But what do you have to lose at this point? You've hired the disciplinarian in Tony Sperano. Didn't work out, okay? You hired the offensive coordinator of the all-world Hall of Fame talent, Aaron Rodgers. Didn't work out. You hired the hotshot quarterback guru who helped lead a Hall of Fame quarterback to a championship late in his career. Didn't work out. You then went and got the Belichick disciple. Didn't work out because he allegedly couldn't get along with others. So why not go with the guy who pulled every possible thing he could out of a limited quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo and helped a franchise go to a Super Bowl twice or go to a Super Bowl once and then nearly go a second time with that same quarterback? A guy who was a major part of of architecting those offenses to maximize what was on the roster as opposed to saying, uh, well, we just don't have enough and we need to build it better. No. They had what they had and they maximized what they had. Why not do that? Because what Mike McDaniel is inheriting with the Dolphins with a limited offensive side of the ball and to many, a limited quarterback, I truly believe what he did in San Francisco in a similar situation, he makes the Dolphins look smart because he was the perfect candidate for this job. It's not the most talented group, but it's going to be the group that's going to allow you to scheme most to put them in a position to succeed. A position to succeed. And that's why this is an excellent hire by the Dolphins. Is Mike McDaniel a good head coaching hire? Is Mike McDaniel a good head coaching hire for the Dolphins? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. Tweeted us at KLV1063. And again, 888-760-3776. The Dolphins have their guy. It is the guy who doesn't look in any way, shape, or form like a head coach. It's Mike McDaniel. He's been described as a nerd. He's been described as quirky. He's been described as awkward. I mean, Stone, you've spent your life in football, whether it is peewee level, whether it is high school football, hot shot at South Fork, whether it is playoff game winning quarterback at Southern Illinois at the Division I level. I assure you, you have never had a coach who has looked and acted quite like Mike McDaniel. Absolutely not. No shot. So for you, you see that and your football mind translates it initially. Initially as what? 
Because you you weren't sold on him at first, and I think a lot of it right. had to do with appearance. I mean, yeah, but I that's what's coming up nowadays. Like, eventually every college and any and every NFL team is going to have these types of guys on their staff. Like, you need them. You need the guys who are in the GA office cooking up film and cooking up, you know, he, he was one of the best run game coordinators, you know, they said in the past, like, decade. Like, like that's a feat in itself. So you need those nerdy guys who are watching 12 hours of film a day and night to set you up for success, especially for a guy like Kyle Shanahan. So I just think there's more guys like this coming. And the coolest part to me is, as far as you know, the Dolphins go, the fans were so on edge and so ready to cook the ownership and everything for another bad hire, right? We were just waiting for it. And then they hired Mike McDaniel. And now nothing bad is really being said. It's more so like a pleasant, like, oh, Let's well, see how th- this is what we needed. But I still think, and let's hear from Keyshawn Johnson um, uh, this morning here on ESPN 106.3. You hear him every day, 6 to 10 a.m. with Max Kellerman uh, and Jay Williams. Here's, here's Keyshawn Johnson's take on the Mike McDaniel hire. I think it's a good hire if that's what they want to do. They went after Brian Dable. That didn't work out. They looked at other offensive-minded coaches. The question is, to me, is who's going to actually call the plays and who's going to put things in motion? Okay. One, what does put things in motion mean? I, I, don't, I, I don't know what that, that means because he's not talking about on the field. I think that that's just sort of a lazy critique Very lazy. of Mike McDan- McDaniel. Who's going to call the plays? He is. I think he is. He didn't call the plays in San Francisco. I think this is his opportunity now exactly. to call the plays. But there is way too much put on coaching candidates who did not call plays at their previous location. Is play calling important? Sure. You want to make sure that you have the right call at the right time in a game. But does that disqualify someone from being a head coach? Absolutely not. I can tell you firsthand. Like, my quarterback coach, like, and I only speak you know, about being, being a quarterback, but he knew what plays I was comfortable with mm-hmm. on third down. Mm-hmm. So, like, in a sense, he's calling the plays on third down. Like, he's going on the mic to the head coach or the actual coordinator, and he's like, hey, we're going with A, B, or C. He's best with A, B, or C. The head coach doesn't know that. I mean, he might because they staff meet for hours on end. But, yeah, quarterback coaches, wide receiver coaches, hey, what route does Odell want to run here? On It's second and four. We can take a shot. Oh, he likes this, this, and this. So, basically, that wide receiver coach is calling the play there. But I I, I hear so much about, oh, he, he didn't call the plays. That makes me uncomfortable. And I think Dolphins fans are burned because Joe Philbin, did not call the plays in Green Bay, came down here, and then he was an abject disaster. Right. That said, being the offensive coordinator for an offense that really ran itself with Aaron Rodgers in charge, you knew you could lean on that quarterback, and it, he had control at the line. He could change anything that he wanted to. Like That was really sort of a uh, driving an automatic, right? <laughs> like That was cruise control, no right? Doubt. So then you have Mike McDaniel who had a quarterback that, while a veteran, he, he had his limitations. And you needed to put him in the best position. I keep going back to it, but that's what I love about Mike McDaniel. He is coming in, and he has the ability to put players in the best position to succeed. And so he comes in and designs the plays and communicates with the quarterback. Hey, what do you feel comfortable with in these situations, in these situations, in these situations? It's different than Joe Philbin. Okay, it is just different than Joe Philbin because, again, he was having to game plan for a limited quarterback, not a Hall of Famer, 
like Aaron Rodgers. I think this is going to be a great thing for Tua. I think it's going to be a great thing for the Dolphins' running game. And I think if he can win over the locker room, the Dolphins certainly have a lot of upside. We'll see what he does with the coordinators. I agree with you. I think he'll probably call the plays, but it does not mean that he's going to go full dictator and everything that he says goes because he's been around enough staffs in that Shanahan tree to know that there needs to be a back and forth, to know that there's a give and take, to know that it's a community effort and not just a singular leadership role where I do all. That's what. That's why all of these Shanahan disciples have gotten jobs. Absolutely. And have succeeded in these jobs because they have the similar structural organizational mindset. This was the right hire to make. I am super jacked about it. And you make a point about the running game. Ah, analytics. Ah, these young coaches. Ah, football, numbers are, it's so boring, and it doesn't really make a difference. You're either tough or you're not. The old school football coach or the ignorant football coach doesn't want to hear about analytics at all. Mike McDaniel, is he in analytics? Are they into trends? Yes. Why? Because it's smart. But Mike McDaniel, if you're an old school football fan, you should be appreciating this guy. Because of what you said, Stone, this guy is dedicated to the run. Look at these San Francisco teams. Yeah. Load up on the line. You're sending linemen in motion. You have a fullback. You have H-back sets. You're trying to, I mean, they they legitimately, in an NFL where the passing game is king, they were trying to go 60-40 run. Oh, yeah. With those offenses. they were, Everything they did was predicated on the run. Part of that is... It's much easier for your limited quarterback to succeed when the defense has to respect your run. Guess what? It's the same exact situation with the Dolphins. Why wouldn't the Dolphins make this higher? Right. San Francisco top five rushing attack in the NFL all season long. Yes. Time and time again. And what sticks out to me, a lot of the times when breaking down George Kittle's film, he's so good in the run game at blocking, putting hand in the dirt. We have Mike Gisecki. I mean, they're similar body body structures. I, I think just second, we're going to see him put his hand in the dirt mm-hmm. and tell Mike McDaniels, hey, I'm there for you. That's, if that's what we need to do, I'm here for it. So I, I think it is exactly what the Dolphins need. And we talked about a limited quarterback. We have to take some weight off of Tua's shoulders and be able to run the ball. Yep. And, and, and we, that's the one of the biggest issues with Tua is that he was asked to do too much. Does that make absolutely. him a franchise quarterback or does that make you frustrated about your quote-unquote franchise quarterback? Yes. It, it should. It should. I agree. Is that a problem? Yeah. But You've got him. So you, if you want to win, you've got to find a way to overcome that. Okay? Travis Wingfield, uh, who does outstanding work with the Drive Time Podcast, and he's part of the Dolphins Podcast Network, he put together a really impressive thread uh, on Twitter talking about what Mike McDaniel brings to the table from a running standpoint. Here's some of the tweets. The commitment to the running game stands out, especially when we consider that the Niners' run play percentage kept pace with teams like Baltimore and Philadelphia, who saw their quarterbacks run a combined 338 times this year compared to San Francisco, who had just 76 quarterback runs. McDaniel was on a staff that saw Julian Jones produce the third highest receiving yardage in NFL history. Coach Pierre Garçon of the league's best 113 receptions in 2013. By the way, Pierre Garçon joins us in just a couple of minutes here on Ken Levick Alive. Now, This is the meat of the running game. He had four different leading rushers in San Francisco in five years. Three different 500-yard rushers in 2019. 
That happened to be a Super Bowl season for San Francisco. In the last three years, the Niners have ranked 8th, 5th, and 3rd in play-action passing yardage. What sets up the play-action pass, Stone? The run. <laughs> like This is, uh, again... And Tua's really good in the RPO game, in the play-action, quick game kind of stuff. That's where he thrives. He's at his best Absolutely. in the RPO Come on, and baby. the play-action pass. So we can, we can bemoan not getting Brian Dable. We can bemoan uh, bringing in a guy who never had any head coaching experience, Doug Peterson, going to Jacksonville. But for the Dolphins and what they have offensively, a struggling offensive line with a quarterback that you still don't know about yet, but you have a capable tight end, and you have receivers that you're trying to unlock and a running game that's been non-existent. The Dolphins haven't been top 10 in total offense since 1998. That's the longest drought in the NFL. Why would you complain about this hire? Because he doesn't look like a head coach? Because he doesn't act like a head coach? Sorry. Get over yourself and what you think football is, and realize where football is going. He's got an old-school football mindset on the field, punch you in the mouth with a analytics modern-day brain. I love it. Is Mike McDaniel a good hire? He's the new head coach of the Dolphins. Is Mike McDaniel a good hire? And it's McDaniel, not McDaniels. Mike McDaniel. 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. And tweeted us at ESPN West Palm. Is Mike McDaniel a good hire? I am all in on this. I'm also all in on the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. FAU.edu slash MBA Sport. The FAU MBA Sport Management Program. It has adjusted. Much like... The offensive mindsets in the NFL have adjusted over the decades. That's right, I said decades. 22 years they've been doing it. The FAU MBA Sport Management Program putting you in the position you need to be, the position to succeed to go into the sports industry. FAU.edu slash MBA Sport. It is a vast world, the sports industry. This will help guide you into where you want to go within the sports industry. It's so much more than just being an agent. It's so much more than just working in a front office. It is expansive. Find your niche. The FAU MBA Sport Management Program, FAU.edu slash MBA Sport. That's FAU.edu slash MBA Sport. The FAU MBA Sport Management Program. The Dolphins have a new head coach. It's Mike McDaniel. Is Mike McDaniel a good hire for the Dolphins? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. He's still in the battle. It's Friday Night Lights. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken Levick Live on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Levick. Why not? Why, why not Mike McDaniel as the Dolphins coach? I'll explain in a second, but... At this point, with the Dolphins, anything you've done over decades hasn't worked. There hasn't been any staying power. So at this point, if you have questions, that's fine. But why not? Why not? Because in Dolphins territory, we've sort of gotten to a point where, what do you have to lose? What what do you have to lose? Ken Levick Alive presented by... The FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Visit fau.edu slash MBA sport. So Mike McDaniel comes in as the new Dolphins head coach. The announcement was made around 6 o'clock last night. And so you've, you've got a guy that he bucks trends, right? And 
I, I'd rather have an outside-the-box thinker than someone who's going to make for a good post-game video after a win where he's frothing at the mouth and screaming and yelling and headbutting helmeted players and handing out game balls. and that, that, that is not winning football. Just because he doesn't look the part, just because he's spindly and uh, looks like the, the, the guy you used to game with back in high school, I, it doesn't mean anything. I, I, I truly think, Stone, that the, the, the biggest issue that football fans, not just Dolphins fans, but football fans have with Mike McDaniel is his personal appearance. I think that that, coupled with how he speaks, like that is, to me, it, it, it's a perfect case of making a judgment at first glance. They can't believe that this guy could command a locker room. And I'm telling you, commanding a locker room is not that difficult. You treat people well, guess what? You're going to be able to command a locker room. Right. I, I, I will tell you, I'm a little worried about some of these post-practice speeches. Like, I mean, has he done it? I, I'm not but quite sure. But why does sure. it matter? I, just, I mean, just for the, you know, how social media is. Just Twitter is going to work him to death if he gets in front of this professional, you know, Miami Dolphins team and, and sits them down and they're all on one knee in the first week of camp and he just says some weird crap. Like, I'm just a little worried, but at the same time, I'm behind it. I think it's awesome. And I think it is where we are trending, you know, as a league in the NFL right now. But just... I, just a little but worried. See, that's where it, this is. This is you showing a little bit of your football meatball, and that's fine for sure. It's it, you. You played it for a long time at a high level, and so I get it. You have a little football meatball, and you know what's gonna kind of offset fans' concerns about how he pumps up his team, which again is the most overrated thing in all of sports because we see it in movies and think that oh yeah, halftime speech. <laughs> That's going to inspire the team to win. No, you W is in the win column. Yeah, you know what? You know what? What inspires a team is knowing that their coach is game planning, out game planning the opposition, and putting them in a spot where they can be maximized. Mike McDaniel, and we're going to talk to Pierre Garcon, uh, who uh, was with the Redskins, now the Commanders, but then the Redskins uh, in his NFL leading reception season of 2013 guess who his wide receivers coach was mike mcdaniel and then when he finished career in san francisco guess who the run game coordinator turned offensive coordinator was mike mcdaniel pierre garçon knows mike mcdaniel extremely well mike mcdaniel is always looking for the matchup he is always trying to put his players in a spot where they're going to be maximized that is going to go a lot longer way for both the guys in that locker room and the fans on the outside, then whether or not he's pumping up the troops after a practice at training camp or in the locker room before a game. Uh, he, 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 we don't need uh, inches is all you need Al Pacino type speech from, uh, from, from Mike McDaniel. We just need him to establish a running game. We need him to put the Dolphins in a position to make the playoffs. We need him to beat Bill Belichick. I mean, Robert Sala straight up said, the Jets head coach, just a week ago, I hope Mike McDaniel doesn't come to the division. I mean, that says all you need to know. I missed that. Yeah. I, I mean, Mike McDaniel is outside the box, and if you're the Dolphins, what do you have to lose? As I said earlier, 
Tony Sperano, disciplinarian. The basics. That didn't work. Had one playoff appearance, and then things fell off massively. Joe Philbin, offensive coordinator of a Hall of Fame quarterback, didn't work. Adam Gase, offensive coordinator of a Hall of Fame quarterback, didn't work. Brian Flores, Belichick disciple. You won some games, didn't work because he also has a bit of that Belichick approach to him. So why not go with the guy who maximized a limited quarterback into a Super Bowl appearance and to within 90 seconds of a second one and completely overhauled a devastating 49ers run game where everyone bought into what they were trying to do. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I appreciate the fact that the Dolphins didn't let the last week distract them from going to get their guy. I think that's the most important thing out of all this. Like, it was executed so well by the Dolphins. People, I, I, I do think that there are football fans, based on what the last week was for the Dolphins, that were rooting against them and hoped that this coaching situation, this hiring process would become a complete joke, would become a clown show, would turn into whatever the Texans are doing right now, where apparently Brian Flores is no longer a front runner. Josh McCown has been informed he's not going to be the next Texans head coach, and now Lovey Smith... Lovey Smith appears to be the favorite. I don't know what the Texans are doing. The Dolphins somehow, with all the bad press, bucked that and got their guy, who is, to me, one of the more riveting hires we've seen of an NFL head coach in years. I agree. In years. And I love it because it's unorthodox. You have hired every single type of other coach, and it has not worked. Now, the one box they did not check, though, was former head coach. And I, I I get the criticism of that. I absolutely do. In fact, Dave Hyde uh, wrote about it today in the Sun Sentinel. Let me read a little bit of this here. The Dolphins brain trust is saying with this decision, they not only see greatness in McDaniel, they're saying they see something no one else did at all in not interviewing him. There were nine coaching openings this NFL cycle. Jacksonville interviewed 12, Chicago interviewed 11, Denver and Minnesota 10 each. Many of the names overlapped, including the other finalists for the Dolphins' job, Dallas offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. Only the Dolphins interviewed McDaniel. That's what you like in some form, an organization going out on a limb making a bold hire. A guy that no one else had the foresight to hire. Maybe it plays out that way. Maybe the Dolphins' brain trust has learned that much from previous mistakes. But Stephen Ross and Chris Greer have to understand Dolphins fans are watching them as closely as they did the Dolphins on the field this past season. This is probably the best way to ensure the next few years don't play out like the last few or the few before that. Why didn't the Dolphins interview a larger name? Like Jim Harbaugh, did Ross really not want to raid Michigan of a proven NFL coach? And why not even interview a Super Bowl winning coach like Doug Peterson, who ended up in Jacksonville? These are legitimate questions. I mean, they are. And I'm sure Dolphins fans, because it's Twitter, are just lighting up Dave Hyde on Twitter. But those are legitimate questions. Why didn't they go after those guys? But I also feel like you've seen Doug Peterson. You've seen his game management issues. Yes, he won the Super Bowl, but what ultimately got him fired in Philadelphia I mean, a terrible game manager, especially late in games. Just absolutely dreadful. Jim Harbaugh, I, I, I wanted him, but I'm okay with it. I mean, he is ragged. He is unpredictable. Uh, him going to Minnesota, thinking he was getting an offer. It didn't happen, and then he flees back to Michigan. 
I don't know. I mean, and if it didn't work in the first place, it would have blown up in all of our faces, mm-hmm. like with that Jim Harbaugh hire. Well, and th- here's the thing with the Jim Harbaugh hire, too. I mean, the Dolphins are in the self-preservation. If Mike McDaniel doesn't work out, that's not going to be the end-all, be-all of Stephen Ross's ownership. If you got Jim Harbaugh and still lost because he's the great Jim Harbaugh, then you start having massive discussions about a fan base revolting and Stephen Ross having to think about relinquishing the team. But with Mike McDaniel, did I say Mike McCarthy earlier, by the way? No, I don't think so. Okay, I don't know why. I was worried all day that I was going to say Mike McCarthy. Mike McDaniel doesn't work out. You can just say, hey, we took a chance on the, the, the established, bold, unique mind. Didn't work. So now we'll go get an established guy. There is some self-preservation in this hire as well. But what I'm saying, and this is not just Dolphins fans, NFL fans, you're about to see one of the most bold hires that we have seen of an NFL head coach because he is unconventional and he is unorthodox and he doesn't play the part. He's not going to stand up there and grumble when things are going poorly so that you know your football brain knows that he's upset and he's demanding more. He's quirky. And I understand he's going to walk up to the podium, crack some jokes, and there are going to be fans and media. They're going to say, see, he doesn't care. He's not invested enough. No, I like it. I like it. Because even when things go poorly, and I'm sure they will initially, you always know what you're going to get from the guy. I like that. He, he, he seems as authentic as they come. And he's not like some new brash hire that doesn't know the NFL. He's been in the NFL for 15 years. Again, under one of the most successful coaching trees that currently lives in the NFL, that Shanahan coaching tree. I love the hire. It's easy to bag on the Dolphins. Totally easy to bag on the Dolphins, and they deserve it. They got this one right. This is a good thing. This, I think, leads to success, at least the way the Dolphins are currently constituted. He was the best way to start pulling some production and have the offense hold up their end of the bargain, leading to wins with this Dolphins team. Mike McDaniel, it doesn't look like a coach, doesn't sound like a coach, doesn't seem like a coach at first glance. He's the new head coach of the Dolphins. Is he a good hire? Is Mike McDaniel a good hire? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. And go ahead and tweet at us, at KLV1063. That's at KLV1063. When we return, we talk... To a man who played under Mike McDaniel, both in Washington, where he had his best season as a wide receiver and the best receiving season in the NFL in 2013, and of course in San Francisco as well, Pierre Garçon, the Palm Beach County product. He'll talk Mike McDaniel and what it's like to be coached by him when we come back. Along with Stone Labano, it's Friday Night Lights. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken Levick Live on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Lavica. I'm pumped. If you thought that my love of Tua was insufferable, just wait until the Mike McDaniel era officially begins with the Dolphins. I love this hire because it took some guts to do it. It took some guts to make this hire. Brian Dable, that would have been... And I'm sure he's going to be fine, but he also had an unlimitedly talented quarterback in Josh Allen. All you had to do was unlock him. Like, is that pretty accurate, Stone? Like, find, 
find a way to unlock that cannon arm and run him to a point where he's not going to get injured. He's no longer kamikaze himself into defenders, and you're going to be in a good spot. And sure enough, Dable, smart enough, good enough to do that. Life is good. For sure. Let me ask you a question. Whose ceiling is higher as far as a combination? Mike McDaniel and Tua or Dable and Daniel Jones? I think it's a fair question. Mike McDaniel and Tua because Tua's mobile. Tua, you know, is an accurate Daniel passer. Jones has got wheels. Not like, not like Tua has I, wheels. I, honestly, Daniel Jones has more wheels than Tua. Come on, come on. Let's. I, I'll find some stats for you here on this on the other side of the break. The, but the numbers I don't know. aren't showing how. Like the numbers aren't going to tell you. The production numbers aren't going to tell you how how mobile someone is. Yeah, Daniel will. Jones runs like a scarecrow. <laughs> he, Rumbling he, Daniel Jones and shifty Tua are not the same. Okay, thing. you put it like that. That's well done. But I, I, Daniel Jones had that what. 30, 40 yard rushing touchdown this year, and he got like to twenty seven yeah, miles an when hour. He, when he when Woo! he can, can when he can can wind his his long neck up, <laughs> yeah, they can he can he can run. I'm not saying he's not fast. What I'm saying is that he is certainly not someone that's going to make a lot of defenders miss. No doubt, you know no what doubt I'm about saying. It. No doubt about but it. But if he gets into the open field, yeah, he can run. I, I just think that Tua has more upside. Does he have the same arm strength? No. Does he have more accuracy? Yes. Is he more deadly out of the RPO? Uh-huh. Is he going to be more successful with play action? Yeah. That's oh, yeah. why I think Mike McDaniel has more upside. I truly do. Would Dable have been fine? Yes. Did the Dolphins blow it with that? Maybe. Maybe they did. And we don't know what the dialogue was between Jim Harbaugh and the Dolphins. And maybe they were waiting, waiting, waiting. That was a miss. But the Dolphins did the next best thing. And they went and got Mike McDaniel because they needed an innovative offensive mind. And they got it. And I don't care if he's not yelling at players and revving up the locker room. You know what I want? I just want wins. And more than that, I want competent offense. Anything. Please. Competent offense. That's all I'm looking for. That would be an improvement. Ken Levick alive here on ESPN 106.3. Let me tell you about Lawler and Associates, personal injury attorneys, Lawler and Associates, Pat Lawler, my guy. He is moonlighting as our sports agent and sports law insider here on Ken Levick alive. But... Uh, don't don't be don't be confused by the fact that yeah he has been the agent for Patrick Peterson and Tyron Matthew and he just knows what he's talking about. He also is the finest personal injury attorney in the area. Uh, they have decades of trial experience at Lawler and Associates Personal Injury Attorneys. Lawler and Associates, the free consultation wanttolawyerup.com. That's right, it's free. Because the last thing they want to do is start gouging you in a very uncertain time in your life. Whether it's slip and fall, automobile, boating accident, any type of personal injury matter, Lawler & Associates, they are looking out for you. They have your back. Lawler & Associates, personal injury attorneys. That's wanttolawyerup.com, wanttolawyerup.com. Got to catch up with Pierre Garcon, the John I. Leonard product. He had his best season, and he was the leading receiver in the NFL in 2013. His wide receiver coach, Mike McDaniel, then went on to San Francisco. Also had Mike McDaniel on that offensive staff. Decided we should catch up with him here on Ken Levick Alive. All right, since uh, I am just a, a, a dope, I wanted to bring in an authority on this topic here. Mike McDaniel, new uh, Miami Dolphins head coach and a man who contributes regularly uh, to this show is Pierre Garcon, uh, former Washington commander, also former San Francisco 49er, Indianapolis Colt, and the pride of John I. Leonard High School. Uh, Pierre Garcon joins us here on Ken Levick Alive. Before we get to Mike McDaniel, your thoughts on the Washington commanders is what? 
Oh, man. You know, I enjoy it. I like it. You know, obviously the thing that's going to make it more comfortable is getting the W's, the victories in that win column. That's that's what's going to, you know, make the name memorable and a good decision. Yeah, I'm with you. I like it. And I like that uh, that gray uniform as well. I can uh, I can get behind that a little bit. Um, uh, Mike McDaniel, new head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He was your wide receivers coach in your finest year when you led the NFL in receptions 2013. Uh, You were in San Francisco when he was there as the running game coordinator turned offensive coordinator. I guess let's start here because I think football fans, at least a pocket of them, are having a hard time believing that a guy who looks like that can stand in front of a locker room and command respect. The first time you met Mike McDaniel, what was that like? I was cool. Um, you know, like you say, he's not the most physically statured person, <laughs> but, you know, he's a great person. He's a great, you know, communicator. He's a very, very smart guy. And he loves football, which everybody in that locker room does because, you know, we're all doing it for a reason. You know, the most reason is love. And he definitely has that love of the game and he can communicate it to the players. What kind of coach is he? What is he like when he's in football mode and you're going over game plans and what worked so well that season where you led the NFL in receptions? What, what sort of things is he able to do that has gotten him to this point? Um, just understanding the game, communicating the game, and coming up with ideas to be successful. You know, he gets excited about, you know, designing plays to help us be successful as players, as receivers. And I saw it firsthand where, you know, he's excited about where I'm lining up, the motions that I'm going into, and then the play – um, you know, that's being called and how it's going to play out. He sees that, he envisions it, and he has that visual in his mind, and communicating it is the most important thing that he does well, and he's very good at it. But he's definitely excited about, you know, how he can attack defenses. That's, you know, that's the most, you know, appealing thing to him because he just gets, you know, it's all in his blood where he, he knows this is going to work. Uh, when it, it comes to <laughs> sitting in the receiver's room in your case or with him, uh, with now an entire locker room in front of him, how does he handle himself around players? Uh, how long did it take you to, to warm up a bit to, to Mike McDaniel? Uh, well, I came in, you know, I was already, you know, happy just to have a receiver coach that can talk to me. So <laughs> the players... Yeah, the players are going to, you know, obviously have doubts at first because it's it's any position that you're in. When you're a leader, people are yeah. going to have doubts until you show your your value and worth. And he does that by putting us in position to be successful. And you can see the vision that he has. And when you buy into that vision, you know, it's easy to follow the guy because he he's excited. He, he wants to be successful, and he sees it. So it's definitely important. For, for, for the players to understand where he's coming from instead of how he looks or, you know, the fans as well. Now, I'm a huge fan of this, and we're talking with uh, Pierre Garcon here on Ken LeVick Alive, played under Mike McDaniel Washington and San Francisco. <laughs> I watched uh, several videos, in fact, of him explaining the buy-in that he wants receivers to have blocking in the run game. We know in San Francisco they wanted to run and run and run and run. And uh, he said that the reason we're successful is because the wide receivers want to block. It's not glamorous, but there needs to be a buy-in for you. uh, How long did it take you to buy in in the concepts of of Shanahan and McDaniel from that standpoint? Uh, That's a great point because, 
he always Mike Mike McDaniel and Cole Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan, all those guys believe in the receivers setting the tone for the game. You know, if the receiver's blocking for the running back to get extra ten yards, that helps us move down the field. And we depend on the the running back to block for us on play action play passes and, and you know, longer developing plays so that we can get those bigger yards. So he's a big fan of, you know, the receivers setting the tone of the game from running plays, blocking, as well as making those big plays that you're supposed to make in those tough catches. But I I bought into it because I enjoy, you know, getting those deeper plays, which take longer time to develop so that the running backs can block. So we remind the running back, hey, on running plays, we're going to block for you because we want you to get yards. But on these longer developing plays, you need to box for us so that we can get those bigger yards. So it's like, you know, you, you put in a little bit so that you get a lot more in the long term. So we enjoy blocking for the receiver, for the running backs, and that's the chance we get to abuse the defenders. So it was a win-win situation for me. I've heard a little bit of this pushback. Well, he didn't call the plays in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> in, in that, I mean, obviously we know it was Kyle Shanahan. Um, when it comes to a, a coach, an offensive coordinator who doesn't call the plays, how much is he involved, though, in play design, in being the architect of sequences and offensive plays? Oh, well, a lot of that goes throughout the week where a lot of the planning, hey, this is the situation that we might be in, this is the cause that we like, and ultimately on game day, you know, it's obviously up to the play caller, which majority of the time it's Kyle Shanahan, ever since I've known him, he's always called the plays. Um, you know, obviously he gives, you know, other guys, you know, reasons, um, not reasons, but input to, to decide on the play, but he ultimately makes the final decision. But throughout the week, you know, those guys are all bouncing ideas back and forth with each other on different situations and scenarios, and they implement new plays early on in the week to see how it will look on game day. So on game day, obviously the the final guy makes the final decision, but throughout the week those guys all have a hand into the play calling and, you know, what, what, what situation that they're in and how they overcome it. Did you ever get the sense that Mike McDaniel could become an NFL head coach? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Because because uh, of the knowledge of the game that he has, he's uh, he's a student of the game and he communicates it very well to the players and to you know to staff. Now I know, I know that you give me a hard time about my passion for <laughs> Tua. Okay, so uh, bringing in Mike McDaniel, who uh, obviously has his hands full because that is an offense that does not have a good line. There's really no semblance of a dependable running back, and of course, uh, you're trying to figure out the anomaly that is Tua. Uh, is, is how is he suited for a job like that where maybe he doesn't necessarily have the most pieces to work with? He's not inheriting a great offensive bunch. Yeah, he's not inheriting a great offensive bunch, but he has great receivers, Wolf Waddle and um, I don't know if... Um, Devontae Parker. Uh, Parker, I don't know if his contract is up or not, but having great receivers help a quarterback, obviously Tua, you know, my thing about Tua is his, his arm strength, which we all would want him to get stronger to throw, Passes longer than five yards. <laughs> so, Thank you. But, you know, Tool will just have to learn. He'll just have to uh, follow the system that Cal, I'm not Cal, but Mike Shanahan, Mike McDaniel puts in front of him because it's it's going to be offensive friendly. It, it just has to, you know, click, which is not easy for every individual. Sometimes it might click faster for a receiver than it does for a quarterback. But it just he just has to learn the game. Well, he has to learn Mike McDaniel's game and then, you know, obviously, you know, excel in it because he's going to have receivers that's going to help him. And those are his outlets, his safety net. 
Uh, Mike McDaniel, how is he when it's time to get locked in? Can he get can he get players locked in and, and, and ready to go? Because you see his press conferences, and he's kind of kooky, and he's mm-hmm. obviously fun. Uh, the The word nerdy has been uh, uh, used to describe his mannerisms and, and and his look. And I'm just I'm I'm just putting this stuff out there. And what I've seen on social media, uh, can he get <laughs> can he get guys locked in and ready to go? Yeah, I think he can get guys locked in and ready to go because of the the game plan that he puts in. You know, he's he's all about you know scoring. That's that's what we're all about. You know, if we score, we have a chance to win. If we can't score, then you know things will look sideways. But I think he get guys going, especially his quarterback and especially the receivers. The receivers, that's what they live and die by. Is the receivers setting the tone for the offense or setting the tone for the day. Uh, I do want to ask you too, because I know you're headed out to LA for the uh, the Super Bowl. What does Pierre Garcon do uh, during Super Bowl week? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of networking events, a lot of golf outings, a lot of um, catching up with old friends. You know, meet with NFL, meet with NFLPA, um, Radio Rome, do a lot of media stuff, and just you know, enjoy being out there. I know LA is excited because they have a home team playing in the Super Bowl, so it's going to be a, a great, fun, festive weekend. Uh, have fun out there. And I do want to make sure that I, I, I put out there that your, uh, your speed aid socks, your compression socks, uh, I wore them throughout my marathon training. I got my sub four yesterday and I avoided any really lingering injuries. I think largely because of them, because my feet were usually a problem in past races I've done. So I appreciate you and, uh, and, uh, your speed aid socks and you taking care of me. I appreciate it. I appreciate the testimony, man. I really, really do. And that keeps me going, man. I really appreciate it. Trying to get the word out. Yeah, no, we'll keep doing that. Pierre, thank you for telling us a bit about Mike McDaniel. Have fun in L.A., and uh, we'll catch up when you get back, okay? Thank you, man. I really appreciate it a lot. That Pierre Garçon. Uh, sounds like he's a believer in what Mike McDaniel can do as a head coach. High praise. Uh, for Mike McDaniel, both in his time as Washington and in uh, in San Francisco. And one thing that, that stood out to me, Pierre Garcon, when I asked him, did you think that Mike McDaniel could be a head coach back in where you were playing? He said, yeah. So this isn't some revolutionary thought, I don't think, in league circles that Mike McDaniel becoming a head coach was out of the realm of possibility. Thank you to Pierre Garcon. Uh, when we come back, listening at lunch, the clips you need to hear. By the way, Canes fans, you may have a real big boy program again. It's amazing what happens when you have cash to spend. He's still in the Bandwitz Friday Night Lights. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, you are listening to Ken Levick Alive on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Lavica. God, I'm going to be this guy. Canes are back, baby. I know it. I feel like I've said it every year for the last for, for the last 15 years. But God, having money is great. Having money is great. This isn't your 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 older brother or sister's poor Canes team. We got cash ready to spend. Florida. Florida State, it's a new era. The Miami Hurricanes are about to spend you out of contention in college football. Ooh, feels good. 
Oh, man, it makes me tingly. Ken LeVick Alive, presented by... The FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Visit fau.edu slash MBA Sport. Speaking of, if you want to start making monies in the sports industry, the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, that's how you do it. fau.edu slash MBA Sport. Again, thanks to Pierre Garcon for talking to us about Mike McDaniel, new Dolphins head coach. I am giddy over this. I can't wait to see his press conferences. He's so weird. He's so goofy. But I also can't wait to see left tackles in motion. I can't wait to see fullbacks. I can't wait to see how he somehow fixes or attempts to fix this mess of a front five. But I'm here for it. I can't wait to see how he puts Tua in a spot to be an effective potential playoff quarterback. I think all of these things are possible. How? I don't know. I'm just dumb. We'll have to see how the Dolphins do things in free agency. We'll have to see how the, the draft plays out. But I just, I schematically, an outside-the-box thinker, unique, the right pedigree, has learned from the right people. Mike McDaniel checks all of those boxes. Does the Mike McDaniel hire change who we go after in the draft? Yes or no? Probably. I think so, too. Probably. This is, this is my concern, though, is you still have the guy who has failed significantly more than he's hit run in the draft, and that's Chris Greer. I'd feel much better about the Dolphins if Chris Greer went as well. <laughs> so I'm excited that Mike McDaniel is, is now the Dolphins head coach, but I still have that trepidation because I know the guy in charge is the one who has just given away draft picks, uh, the guy who has gotten way too reckless, the guy who cannot find an offensive lineman if his life depended on it. Like, uh, if, I were, if I were hanging off of a cliff and I didn't have the strength to pull myself up and Chris Greer was like, oh, I can, I can save you, but first what I need to do is I need to, I need to use this first-round pick on a talented lineman. And if it works out, we got you. You're saved. I'd just be like, well, I hope I sign my will. I'm dead. I, I mean, I, I just, I hope. I hope, I hope, I hope. That would be a weird, that was the weirdest hypothetical I could have thrown out I was there. waiting. It I doesn't like, make wait, wait, wait. any sense whatsoever. No sense what I just did. Mike McDaniel, good hire? I say yes. I love it. 888-760-3776, 888-760-3776, and you can tweet at us, uh, at KLV1063. That's my personal Twitter, so don't abuse it. But that's how you get into the show, is using at KLV1063 on Twitter. And like I said, there will be no abuse, no abuse of my personal Twitter, okay? You're lucky I'm putting it out there for the masses to use. And we're celebrating the fact that at age 37... I have done the impossible. I have defied the odds. I have established myself as a physical specimen. I ran the Miami Marathon in under four hours yesterday. Three hours, 58 seconds, or 58 minutes, 22 seconds. Stone Lebanowitz, that's an accomplishment, my friend. Bing bong. Damn right, bing bong. <laughs> I, I had a much more successful Sunday, much more successful athletic Sunday than the Knicks have had all season long. Okay. Hit it again, Stone. Okay. Bing bong. Me? Bing bong. In my life, I am a playoff contender. In the, play, in the season of life, I'm a playoff contender. The Knicks, currently out of the playoff picture. That's all I'm saying. One more time. Bing bong. Curtis is in Port St. Lucie. Curtis, you're on Ken LeVick Alive. What's up, Curtis? 
Hey, Ken, I appreciate you taking my call. Yes, um, yeah, I, I think you pretty much summed it all up when you're talking about um, this new head coach for the Dolphins. Uh, outside the box, <laughs> which should be the norm, Yeah, but they're making NFL out of, uh, into something that resembles rocket science. Right, football's and even not if a hard it was, game. yeah, football's not a hard not, game, Curtis. It's not. No, no, it's not. And you play it the way you traditionally played it, you, with fullbacks and pulling guards and everything else that you can get in motion. Um, and the objective is to get in the end zone, not to kick a field goal. Right, right, exactly. Um, you only take the three when you got to. I mean, Curtis, here's what I think it comes down to, though. He doesn't. He doesn't have the look, right? I, I think the, the old school football fan wants the red face, wants the anger, uh, wants the, the stocking, the sideline, and the video of the post-game pump-up speech. And Mike McDaniel is none of those things. I think some people need to get out of the mindset that that automatically makes you successful and a winner. You know what makes you a successful and a winner is, is putting together the right game plan and scoring. Like Pierre Garçon said, Mike McDaniel gets excited when right. he finds a matchup problem, and that means points are coming. Right. And he has that Yale brain. Uh, and some of those people that are saying whatever they're saying about this young man don't understand that he operates from another space inside of his brain. Yep, and that's 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 a good thing based on how the last couple of coaches have operated in their headspace. And appreciate right. the call, Curtis. Thank you. Uh, it, listen, Brian Flores was a he was a success based on Dolphin standards. He was a success, and he was given a crappy situation, and he probably paid the price for being in a crappy situation. You and I talked endlessly why there was reason for Brian Flores though to be let go as the Dolphins head coach. Yeah. Um, I mean, we discussed it at nauseum. He, he reportedly could not, uh, he didn't have a great relationship with staff and with people in that building. You're looking at Brian Flores and, and uh, knowing his personality and judging by the last couple of years just how it he conducted himself. Up. Why? I mean, th- I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Uh, his game management, the way he just wasted challenge flags, not, not good. Uh, it was troublesome and put them in bad situations at times. A seven-game losing streak in year three in the season you were supposed to compete. That's not good. So Brian Flores, despite all the other stuff, forget the lawsuit a week ago. I mean, Stephen Ross made a tough decision. Was this a surprise to some? Sure. But can you justify it? Yeah. And so now you bring in a guy who's a complete polar opposite in almost every way to Brian Flores. Not just defensive mind versus offensive mind in McDaniel, but also... Just the way he is around people, the way that he is around players. He's very much going to be, I'm sure, a player's coach. You can do that tactfully while also making sure you have the respect in the locker room. But if you score, if you are put in a position to succeed, that's the easiest way to gain respect in a locker room. Because winning cures a lot of any rifts or any differences in personality or in philosophy when you're putting check marks in that W count. Not any. All of them. All, yeah, absolutely all of them. Listening lunch coming up. He's still in the Banowitz Friday Night Lights. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken Levicka Live on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Levicka. All right. Now I promise we're going to talk about the Canes being rich. Rich. And unapologetic about it, as it should be. The U is back 
because the dollar signs are here. Ooh, man. If the, if the Canes can't succeed now, if they can't get into an ACC title game now, like, then you have a problem. Ken LaVica Live is presented by... The FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Visit fau.edu slash MBA sport. Speaking of money, you're going to save a bunch of it if you get your automobile at Greenway Kia, West Palm Beach. Military trail, half mile south of Palm Beach International Airport, and you can't miss it. Want to know Why? Because first, what's going to catch your eye is the big old Kia sign out front. But also, then you're going to say, wow, those Kia vehicles are gorgeous. You'll see the ovals on the front, the Kia, and they, they sparkle in sunshine. I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. But that's not the point of what I'm telling you. Back to the money here. So I got my Kia K5 GT uh, 2022 beautiful automobile. The Pirelli tires, the 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 blue paint. Uh, the, the the it's a sedan, but the room in the back seat for both car seats for both my daughters. The big spacious trunk, and oh yeah, the fact it is fun as hell to drive. That pickup, I love it. Uh, but I, I I adore my Kia K5 GT. But check out right now at Greenway Kia West Palm Beach. Right now you can lease a 2022 K. Kia K5, $219 a month for 36 months. The Kia Soul, 1.9% APR for 60 months. The 2022 Sorento, 1.9% APR for 60 months. They are taking care of you at Greenway Kia West Palm Beach, and their credit clinic is on site. Don't feel like you're being judged. Feel like you have a place that's trying to make sure you leave with an automobile. They don't care how bad your credit is. They want to work it out for you so it's stress-free. The entire situation there at Greenway Kia West Palm Beach, they they want it to be stress-free so you keep coming back. You tell your friends, and they make sure that you are happy. It's hard to find that sometimes, especially in the, the, the car selling world. They want to keep you coming back for more. They are looking out for you at Greenway Kia West Palm Beach. Check them out online, including that selection. GreenwayKiaWestPalmBeach.com. That's GreenwayKiaWestPalmBeach.com. Let's go now to the listening lunch. The clips you need to hear, we react to them on your lunchtime. Monday edition, which is always the sweetest listening lunch because, let's be honest, you had a morning where you you really weren't locked in, wanted nothing to do with a Monday so let's get you refocused, shall we? Let's start with a late kick with Josh Pate. Mario Cristobal, after National Signing Day, joined him talking about the Canes coaching staff. And this is what this is what Mario Cristobal had to say. Again, this was over the weekend. Mario Cristobal about building his coaching staff. Well, we're swinging big. You know, we're, we're going, um, you know, so to speak, big game fishing. Yeah. We feel that uh, the players here deserve the best Power Five developmental experience possible. And, uh, you know, we're very meticulous. We're very calculated with our moves. Play that again, Stone. Just the, 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 the up to the, the money part, please. Well, we're swinging big. You know, we're, we're going, um, you know, so to speak, big game fishing. Oh, we feel is. that uh, the players here deserve the best Power Five developmental experience possible. And, uh, you know, we're very meticulous. We're very calculated with our moves. We're going big game fishing. Stone. That's quote of the year so far. Mario Cristobal and the Canes are going big game fishing. That was said before we knew that that big game that they were fishing for was Josh Gaddis. Best assistant in the Big Ten. By far. But not even that. The best assistant in the country. 
the Broyles Award finalist. The man who helped construct that massive, overpowering, punch you in the face and in the throat and in the groin offensive line. The man who's a recruiting ace who has brought five-star after five-star in for Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. He is now the offensive coordinator at Miami. Big game fishing, baby. What's our recruiting class rank right now? Uh, 14. Boom. Yep. And that's with Cristobal with a short amount of time and limited amount of players that signed on signing day, 14th in the nation. Think about that. Are we That's back? That's before. God, it's came. Ask me that again. Are we back? Kind of feels like it, right? <laughs> kind of. It kind of feels like it. I, I, I don't. Listen, does this guarantee success? No. But damn it. When the University of Miami made the decision that enough was enough, we're opening the checkbook. We're going to throw money around. You know what I say? Let it rain. <laughs> Let it rain. And Stone, right now, what's it doing? It's raining. It's raining. Hold on. Hold on. Talk to us, Cardi B. Yeah. It's raining. She knows She knows what it's like to let it rain. <laughs> she knows. Now, for her, in her past, it was singles. Oh, now it's raining. It's raining cash in Coral Gables. Here come the big boys. We're big game fishing. I still, for me, successful Canes football stone. You don't have to be in an ACC title game every year. The ACC is competitive. But you need to get to it. And you need to probably do it every other year, every three years. I'm fine with that. College football is hard. You're never going to have the overwhelming, dominant success that you once had. You're still a private school in Coral Gables, Florida, okay? But Mario Cristobal, he's got the money. He knows how to spend the money, and he's going get big game fishing. Josh Gaddis, I mean, and and Josh Gaddis is inheriting one of the nation's best quarterbacks. Can you imagine the Broyles Award finalist with Tyler Van Dyke TVD? Let's go through Miami's schedule because it's pretty soft. Oh, let's. It's pretty soft. You give me a win, and you give me a loss. All right, let's do win. I love it. Win loss. Bethune Cookman. <laughs> Move on. Southern Mississippi. But Bethune-Cookman will have the better band. Uh, what Southern Miss? Oh, that's a big win. But Frank Gore's kid comes back to play his father's former team. That's nice, but Big Canes win. We got. We have to go to Kyle Field to play Jimbo I and his Aggies. Jimbo wants to sit and whine and complain. Ooh, they're talking about how we have so much money in NIL. No, we did it. We did it. No, hold on. We did it. Our staff did it. Our st- hey, everybody's a clown. Everybody's a clown. Shut up, Jimbo. Give me the Canes. Middle Tennessee. Win. Too much Conference USA, by the way, in the Canes schedule for my liking, for my tastes. Sam Howellis, North Carolina Tar Heels. Yeah, give me the Canes. That's at home. Virginia Tech. Uh, win. It's sort of a rebuild year for them. Yeah, we'll we're undefeated. Duke. Win. Virginia. Undefeated. Florida State. <laughs> did the, did, does Florida State have money? I don't think so. And they're coming to Hard Rock, too. Are the Knowles? Are the Knowles? Are the Knowles making it rain? <laughs> no. Hell no. No. The Canes are. That's Georgia, a win. Georgia Tech. <laughs> Dabo. And the, Clems- <laughs> and the Clemson Tigers. Oh, man. You know what's going to happen? Not only are the Canes going to beat him, Mario Cristobal is going to walk out to midfield and rain hundreds on Dabo. <gasps> and a Kenny Pickett-less pit to yeah. end the season. Well, sorry uh, uh, to, to friend of show, Charlie Partridge, but that's a Canes win. Undefeated going to the playoff. <laughs> 
having money rules. The Canes having money rules. Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator. Canes offensive coordinator, best assistant in the country. That rules. Inheriting TVD. That rules. Give me all the money. Listening lunch here on Ken Levick Alive. What do we have next here? Oh, 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 oh. Good morning football. Peter Schrager on today talking about Joe Burrow. And what happens? What happens if second-year Joe Burrow wins a Super Bowl? Listen to this. Yeah, I go back to, let's see that full screen again. The oh, guy, bring it up. The guys who won let's it, go. Right? Let's see the guys who in won In the first two seasons. In the, in the first two seasons. And there's, a, the there's another list of guys that got there and didn't win it. Like, uh, Kaepernick got there in the second yep. year, didn't win it. Uh, Mahomes got to the AFC Championship, didn't win it. I think of the greatest second-year season in the history of the sport, and I think of Dan Marino. Damn right. All right, Dan Marino broke every passing record that season. Sure as hell Shattered the single-season record for yep. passing yards and for touchdowns. Uh-huh. And was cruising the whole season. They they beat the Steelers in the AFC Championship game, and the second year goes to the Super Bowl against the Niners. Marino wasn't great that day. He was not great. He went 29 of 50 through two interceptions and fell short. And, like, if Burrow wins and he's the reason they're there, I could go, I mean, it sounds like it's, you know, in 56 Super Bowls, it sounds like it's hyperbole. It could be the greatest sophomore season we've ever seen from a quarterback. Because mm. he's he's the reason they're there. Like, we talk about Mike Hilton and Eli Apple all we want. If it's Ryan Finley or Brandon Allen at quarterback, they're not playing in the Super Bowl Correct. right now. It's Joe Burrow, and it all stems from his confidence, from his intelligence, from his strength. And, gosh, that AFC Championship game, mm. down 18 points. Mm-hmm. In the second half, to come all the way back, the perseverance, and I think it's everything is involved. It wasn't a highly recruited high school player, had to transfer out of Ohio State, his home state, and then had to then win the job at LSU and then get to the NFL and then has the ACL injury. Nothing is too big for this guy. No adversity he hasn't seen yet. I I love this story, Mm -hmm. and I think if he wins on Sunday, which is very possible, I think it might be better than Marino's second year. Mm -hmm. It's that good Mm -hmm. because he finished the job, and he actually tied the bow at the Mm -hmm. end. No. Now, I'm perfectly okay with Peter Schrager getting caught up in the Joe Burrow love fest. Because we all have. We all have. I mean, I was roundly criticized for even the mere suggestion stone that maybe Joe Burrow's awkward cool and not cool cool. By the way, is Mike McDaniel awkward cool or cool cool? Because I think think he's got some, some it to him, right? Definitely. He dropped a Mike Jones a couple of weeks ago. He did drop a Mike Jones a couple of weeks ago. But don't, don't, we can't forget that. No, but but Joe Burrow, people love him. People want to love him. He's won us over. He has, and because he he is, he's fun, and he is a great story, like Peter Schrager said, and he says the right things. He obviously balls out. But I will not 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 accept the slander of comparing. What Joe Burrow did in his second season, or what Dan Marino did in his second season. I mean, Joe Burrow, I mean, good season, good season. And you, of course, have to account for how far offenses have come. Uh, Joe Burrow throwing for for more yards than Dan Marino did in his second season, because that's the nature of the NFL now. But Joe Burrow finished sixth in passing yards this year and eighth in touchdown passes. Okay? This being his second year. Dan Marino broke six NFL full-season passing records in his second year, including record for most touchdown passes, 48, and most passing yards, 5,084. 
He was the NFL MVP, made it to the Super Bowl, and lost to a 15-1 49ers team that, before the Bears came along, 15-1, and just three years later, before the Patriots came around and went 18-1 and losing in the Super Bowl, that, that 49ers team was considered maybe the greatest of all time. Yeah, the dynasty. Yeah, he... He he lost to arguably at that point in NFL history the greatest team of all time. So you can't tell me that Joe Burrow winning the Super Bowl over the Rams is going to finish off the debate about who had the greatest second year of all time. Sorry, it's not just end result. It's everything that led to it. Dan Marino legitimately revolutionized the way that the game was played. There's no Joe Burrow. There's no massive emphasis on the quarterback position like we see today where it can make or break a team, where you leverage everything to maybe get that hot shot college quarterback, if not for Dan Marino. Dan Marino changed the game. Joe Burrow ain't changing anything, except his socks, okay? I love Joe Burrow. His second season was not Dan Marino's second season. Look at some of these other second-year quarterbacks, by the way, that made it to the Super Bowl and are at least in this discussion. Russell Wilson. All right, fine. I'll give you Burrow over Russell Wilson, okay? Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, his second season took off. Yeah. You know? And it turned into a Hall of Fame career. But fine, I'll still give you Burrow over that. Tom Brady. Tom Brady's second season, his Super Bowl season, <laughs> he he barely played. He barely played until late in that year because Drew Bledsoe's body was blown up. Kurt Warner? Uh-uh. I mean, I think Kurt Warner and the Rams... We're another revolution in NFL offense. Greatest show on turf. Joe Burrow hasn't had that impact. I'm not going there. Colin Kaepernick with the RPO, the mobile RPO. He changed the game and the complexion of the NFL game more than Joe Burrow did this year. Literally changed the game. So we love the story. We love the story. But Joe Burrow's second season, no. Even if he wins the Super Bowl, that is not going to make him the greatest second-year quarterback of all time because there have been other year two quarterbacks who went to the Super Bowl that had a massive impact on the game in that second season. In the, the How the game is played compared to Joe Burrow. Sorry, Peter. Not on board. Listening lunch here on Ken Levick Alive. And then there's Dan Orlovsky on Get Up This Morning. Orlovsky on the Rams and what's on the line Sunday in the big game. This would be a failure of a season if the Los Angeles Rams do not win the Super Bowl. We went through oh this whole offseason. When the trade happened, we said they were going to chase the Super Bowl. And then we went into the season. Yep. We said, who's under the most pressure? And we said, Matthew Stafford. And we said, Sean, Sean McVay. And all that's happened since those moves were the Rams are really, really good. They went and got Odell Beckham. They went and got Vaughn Miller. I mean, this team has been constructed to sacrifice the future when it comes to first-round picks to go win a yep. Super Bowl. This wasn't to go build I a agree. good football team. This wasn't good to go get there. If Matthew Stafford is unable to go get it done, it will be the biggest disappointment of his career. And it will also this, and I love him. I absolutely love him. It will make us start to question some stuff about Sean McVay. 
This would be the second yep. time that he would get to the Super Bowl and couldn't find a way to get it done with a guy that I believe is a Hall of Famer in Matthew Stafford if he wins the Super Bowl. So, like, Greeny, this is not a conversation. You do not play in the NFL, and you are not part of NFL teams to go be good. RC can speak to it way greater than I can. You go to win championships. No one remembers second place. It does not matter. Yep. The Rams have to go win the Super Bowl. That is really over-the-top garbage. And I think really disingenuous. Did the Rams go for it? Yes. But to simply use the word good about the Rams, you don't get to the Super Bowl unless you're you're great. The Rams are a great team. And if they fall short in the Super Bowl, it's unfortunate. But it doesn't invalidate their season. And Dan Orlovsky saying that we need to start making judgments about Sean McVay if he doesn't win the Super Bowl? What? What? You're right. No coach has ever lost a Super Bowl twice. No coach has ever been a two-time Super Bowl loser. The first time around, Sean McVay brought Jared Goff into a Super Bowl to duel with the greatest quarterback of all time and arguably the greatest dynasty of all time in the Patriots. But say he falls short again in a Super Bowl... Ah, we still we're about to have some questions about Sean McVay. Come yeah. on, yeah, the thirty-six-year-old head coach who's been to two Super Bowls right. in the last four seasons. Yeah, the what, 30, a, what a failure! Yeah, the thirty-six-year-old head—you're exactly right—who has been to two Super Bowls in his coaching career already, and it's in its infancy still. Oh, we're about to have some questions. And listen, I I know that pressure and stakes get get hoisted up high when you go and acquire a Matthew Stafford. When you go and acquire Avon Miller, when you go and trade for an Odell Beckham, the Rams aren't going to have a first-round pick until, I believe, 2024. But the fact of the matter is, you do all of that to put yourself in a position to win a championship. If it doesn't happen, it's an upset, and it sucks. But to say that it makes the Rams failures, I'm sorry, there is no team that can get through a 17-game regular season, and get through the playoffs, go to the Super Bowl, and you say they're a failure if they don't win it. I'm it's la- sorry. It's lazy. It, it, it is lazy, and I, I, just, I, I feel like it's, it's feeding into a, a, just a talking point. Like, I love Dan Orlovsky. I do. But that is total. We had a weekend without, without football, trying to get things going on a Monday morning, trying to get dopes like us to talk about you. That's what you spew out. How many times, if we look back, do you think Matthew Stafford's beaten Dan Orlovsky? Maybe that has something to do with it? I mean, I don't know. They were teammates. I mean, they were teammates. Wow, they were teammates. Yeah. yeah. Wow. They were teammates. And I don't think there's anything against Stafford, but also, like, you made the Super Bowl. Nobody who makes <laughs> the Super Bowl and loses has failed. Not even the, the greatest show on turf Rams team that lost to the Patriots. That's not a failure. Is it a disappointing season? Yeah. But can you go to the Super Bowl, lose, and be considered a failure? Uh-uh. Not even the Patriots team that was looking to go undefeated and fell to the Giants. There's no way you say that season was a failure. Great point. I don't want to say Sean McVay bringing in all this talent, but all those egos in that locker room and getting to this point, it's like the NBA, my outlook on the NBA. Having superstars is more difficult because you need to make everybody happy, established star professionals happy. And Sean McVay has the NBA equivalent in the NFL, and they're playing for the biggest prize. Yeah, he, he revitalized OBJ. 
Yes. Like he brought him back to yeah. life. Like yeah. that alone is worth like four other guys on a roster somewhere else. If they don't win a Super Bowl in the next two years before that window seems like it's going to close shut, that's a failure. Get into the Super Bowl and not winning this year, not a failure. And in, and in most cases, some guys argue that like when you bring a quarterback over and you go all in, that it, it's going to take a little bit to get that chemistry down and everything. They got to the Super Bowl in the first yeah. year, like what Tom Brady did. Like, no, they didn't need time to get the chemistry going. They were rolling early. Uh, Matthew Stafford was an MVP candidate through like eight, nine weeks in the NFL right. season this year. So it's like, no, like they, they figured it out earlier than anybody expected them to. I just, I, I cannot bring myself to declare a Super Bowl team a failure. A team that's, in, I just, I don't operate like that. The Rams. Do you agree with Dan Orlovsky? The Rams, if they don't beat the Bengals, if they don't win the Super Bowl, are they a failure? Straight up, we, we, have, we have jumped over disappointing, and we have, we have uh, hurtled all the way to failure. Are the Rams a failure if they don't win the Super Bowl? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. At KLV1063 on Twitter. Are the Rams a failure if they don't win the Super Bowl? I mean, I, I get Dan Orlovsky is trying to, to, to make us discuss, but I can't get behind that in any way, shape, or form. I have too much respect for NFL teams. Maybe it's because I follow the Dolphins, but NFL teams that, for me, a playoff win would be a success. Let's hoist a trophy. Before the Super Bowl, before this run in the playoffs, the Bengals winning a playoff game was their championship. You can't tell me the Rams going to the Super Bowl because they have really good players is a failure. Are the Rams a failure if they lose to the Bengals? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. And again, you can tweet at us, at KLV1063. That's at KLV1063. You'll never go wrong. You'll never fail with Brightline. Brightline Plus, that is the only way to stress-free get through South Florida. A new way to get from point A to point B. Get anywhere within a five-mile radius to and from Brightline stations in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and West Palm Beach. They have y'all set up to make sure that your stress levels stay low. Book a ride on Brightline and add Brightline Plus to get you to and from the station. All-in-one app and all-in-one ticket. Go from home to the station to your final destination. Brightline Plus offers rides to and from the station with eco-friendly options, including Teslas, e-shuttles, and even shared bikes. They have thought of it all. It's complimentary until the end of the month. Big news is Brightline has officially broken ground on their new station in Boca. And they're on track to complete it by the fall of 2022. So it's about to be even easier to get through South Florida where you want to go. But also the buzzer beater train. The only, the only way to see the heat is to skip the traffic and take Brightline's buzzer beater train. Get to the next heat game, stay out of the last shot with the buzzer beater train. Go to the Miami Central Station, which is right by FTX Arena, a block and a half away. Stay until the final horn. Walk, get on the train, go back home. There is nothing easier. Buzzer beater train. Brightline Plus. Live with Brightline. I do, and it's awesome. Stone Lebanowitz, he subscribes to it. He'll never go to Miami again without Brightline. That's Brightline. Go Brightline.com. Use the free Brightline app. He's Stone Lebanowitz, Friday Night Lights. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, you are listening to Ken Levick Alive on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Levicka.
I tried to warn you people on Friday in between phone calls. How many calls did we take on Friday from people wishing me luck on the Marathon Stone? Like 22. Yeah, like 22 calls. In between the 22 calls we took in two hours, and by the way, I appreciate everybody for, for reaching out and wishing me luck, including uh, Fox's broadcasting golden boy, Adam Amin, and the great Ben Volen from the Boston Globe, not to mention all of my wonderful teammates here at ESPN West Palm, and uh, my lovely wife. Uh, in between those 22 calls, Stone, I was asking people, are, what are you doing this weekend? What are you doing this weekend? I don't know why I sound like a pirate there. Are, um, uh, what were you going to do? Because there was no football, and I wasn't going to watch the Pro Bowl. I tried to warn you. That was my way of warning you. Don't watch the Pro Bowl. You did. And guess what? The Pro Bowl sucked. You know that a viewing experience is miserable when Mac Jones does the gritty. The fact that Mac Jones was even in the, in the game was bad enough. But then he did the gritty. And that's where you should all draw the line. It all did, of you. You're not going to like this, but it didn't look that bad. Come it on, did, and the team graded him. So, on, someone dude. gave him a seven. One of the boys, I forgot who it was, gave him a seven. Uh, what are we doing with the Pro Bowl? Like, why? why? I get why it exists. And you need a showcase. But it's so broken. And it's so bad. How much of the Pro Bowl did you watch? Maybe a quarter? Like, second quarter? I so you watched you watched a quarter or two quarters? I watched a quarter. I watched the second quarter. Oh, boy. So you saw... It, there was legit... They were blowing whistles after two-hand touch. Right. Like there, there was two-hand touch going on. They put on all those pads to just play two-hand touch. Here is... All right. Here's how I'm going to fix the Pro Bowl. And all of you can thank me later. Okay? So... Hockey has turned it into a three-on-three tournament, which is awesome. Like I love that. Hockey's all-star game, I think, rules. That format is great because yeah, you can the, do it. The overtime th- format in hockey is the best yeah. in all sports. But the fact that they made it a, 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 like a bracket and you have three-on-three games, that's cool. It is. That's really cool. Baseball, you're at least always going to have guys who are going to try and show out. And is baseball's all-star game, can it be boring because it's four hours, four hours and 15 minutes? Yeah, it can get a little long. Is there always the chance of an unfortunate tie? Absolutely. It is there. We've seen it. And uh, I still think it's ridiculous. They're playing for home field advantage in the World Series, but whatever. You're at least going to have guys who are going to try and show out. There is benefit to Major League Baseball's all-star game. The NBA all-star game, they're at least trying by having every quarter mean something. You can win a quarter and then... It determines how much you have to come back from in the fourth quarter in crunch time. They make crunch time interesting where the guys have to play. Okay? Yeah. Is the NBA All-Star game ever going to be perfect? No. Is that at least something? Sure. Football's hard because inherently it is a sport where you're trying to injure the other player. Right? Like you, It is a, a game that is based on physicality. And you don't succeed unless you are making physical contact with someone, which inherently means you are trying to injure somebody on every play, and that's how you get an edge. And in an exhibition game with highly paid guys who are looking out for one another and their futures, you can't play a competitive football game. So the Pro Bowl sucks. The Pro Bowl does nothing for me, especially with Mac Jones in it doing the gritty, okay? (laughs) Especially with two-hand touch. So here's my proposal, Stone. You, as a longtime high school football player, a star, 
your summers, what were they consumed with as a quarterback? What were they consumed with as a high school football player? What did you attend most? What was your competitive outlet in the summers? Seven on seven. Yes. Here's my proposal. Uh Uh-oh. You vote as you normally would to put these players in the Pro Bowl, and they play, like hockey, a bracket, and it's seven on seven. Oh, that's it. That also means, so you, you have the flags, okay? Yeah. Flag seven on seven. Or it's touch. And, or it can be either, but oh, what about the linemen? The linemen can line up as receivers. The linemen can line up as DBs. It's a short field. Every team needs what? Two linemen, yeah. something like that. Yeah, and they don't have to play as linemen, though. That's more fun. Everybody loves to see a fat guy catch a touchdown. Spread him out wide. Have Joe Burrow throwing touchdowns to a 300-pound lineman, offensive or defensive lineman. It would also space out like the, the superstars on teams. Like, yes. be, like These teams would be yep. loaded up. Well, like, like the NBA, you can draft them then. You have a yes, pool of players. Yes, 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 yes. And say you have six teams. Six, it, let, let's, let's create six teams. Okay, because think about it. You have a starting 11 and alternate. So 22 plus 22 is 44. Seven on seven teams. I mean, hell, this is about me. me. Uh, okay, fine. Let's do, yeah, let's do six teams. Six teams, you have a bracket, and you, you can play double elimination or whatever. We can figure out the mechanics of that later. But you, you have six captains, okay? And they draft their seven on seven team. And they have to take... Um, an X amount of offensive players and an X amount of defensive players. And you go from there. Wouldn't that be fun as hell? I absolutely love it. And I think the fans would be able to see the matchups between, you know, DBs and receivers more often. Like yes! guys, guys who don't cover guys on the inside right. are able to walk down and press them, play man coverage, right. and play to the crowd. But wouldn't you love to see Aaron Donald against Xavier Howard? Oh, yeah. Like, come on. Who's saying no to this? The Pro Bowl should be seven on seven. The Pro Bowl should be a 7-on-7 contest. Take it from South Florida, where 7-on-7 reigns supreme, and everyone and every high school entity needs to have a 7-on-7 in the offseason, and kids are flocking to it. And I can't tell you whether it's it's fair or not how many college coaches are paying attention to 7-on-7 results. Probably too many, to be honest. But if you want... Fun, if you want a bracket, if you want some sort of drama, and you don't want to see the lazy putting on full pants, two-hand touch stuff in what's supposed to be an actual tackle football game, make it a non-tackle football game, shorten the field, and make it a seven-on-seven where the big dudes are playing too. To your point, I've, so I've been to three seven-on-seven tournaments in the month of January alone. I coached our Treasure Coast Elite team, and I also played for teams in Miami. In the three that I've been to this month, if I could tell you the amount of cameras and the amount of 24-7 sports, yeah. you know, rivals, all these guys, ESPN, everybody's there. It's really so kind of ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but, I mean, there are kids out there who we will watch yeah. play on TV sooner or later. So I, I, the publicity's there. I think it's so it's, it'll be so much more fun than the game. I love it. Yeah, people love touchdowns. People love seeing. People love touchdowns. People love touchdowns. People love uh, one-on-one matchups. You're going to get your one-on-one matchups. People love Fat guys doing things they don't normally do on the football field. The NFL can have it for, for 10% of what Roger Goodell is going to make next month. Okay? Like, just give me 10% of what Roger Goodell is going to make next month, and I'll be happy. You can take the idea. The NFL Pro Bowl should be a seven-on-seven tournament bracket style. All right? 
What happens when it's in, a no-brainer? What happens in six and seven years when it happens and, and you get no credit? Well, I'll be dead probably. Whoa! Did you say six or seven years or sixty or seventy? Six or seven. Oh, oh hopefully I'm not dead then. Never mind. I <laughs> I jumped the gun on the whole death thing. <laughs> uh, I well, listen, listen. They can have it, and I love football. But again, like maybe we can negotiate ten percent of Roger Goodell's salary next year. Not not actually next month. Next year, that would be a lot of money. I'm I'll ha- take that too. I love it. I'm actually picturing Hunter Renfro on the slot on the right side and Aaron Donald on the slot yes. on the left side running underneath crossing routes. Yes. And you're going to have a chance for these defenders, these linebackers, even these linemen, to show their athleticism, being able to cover these receivers in a shorter field. It's fun. Instead of dodgeball. Yeah. It's fun. It's good. Yeah, I don't need to see dodgeball. Like the skills competition, if we wanted to move the skills competition and make that the Pro Bowl, that's fine too. But if you want the skills competition throwing balls through holes and, uh, you know, throwing yourself through tables, catching footballs, that's fine. I like the skills competition. But if you want a Pro Bowl game, let's make it a seven-on-seven tournament. Okay? Get back to the core essence of football, and that's these dudes in high school who are playing seven-on-seven tournaments. All right? Two-hand touch, flag, doesn't matter. But jump on board with me, NFL. I'll lead you to the promised land. And you know what else is the promised land with baseball? Ballpark of the Palm Beaches. I love the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. And uh, we are, we're still banking on there being a spring training. Ballpark of the Palm Beaches. Go to ballparkpalmbeaches.com. Single game tickets are on sale now. It is the home of the Washington Nationals. It is the home of the, uh, the American League champion Houston Astros. Major matchups coming with the Braves coming in for a World Series matchup. The Yankees, the Red Sox, and six trips from the Mets during spring training. Ballpark the Palm Beaches. Ballparkpalmbeaches.com. The Ballpark of the Palm Beaches, your spring training home, right in the heart of Palm Beach County. Good stuff today. Stone the Banowitz, Friday Night Lights. Appreciate you. We'll be back tomorrow. Theo Dorsey will be in for his regular Tuesday spot. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. I'm Ken Levick. I've been live on ESPN 1063.